Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Crispin Beal from the UK. Crispin, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to chat about all things leadership with you. Thanks, John. Likewise. So for our listeners, I'd love it if you could just give a bit of an introduction uh, around yourself and what you do. I know, as we just talked about before starting uh, the recording the podcast, uh, you you sort of wear multiple hats or fingers in multiple pies. And uh, I'm really excited to chat about a leadership with you today. So yeah, just give us a bit of a a window into Crispin Beal and, uh, and what you're doing at the moment. Sure. Well, I've I've been in the um, research and insight space for a while, and I'm I'm currently the group president of a company for behaviourally, looking after their commercial and customer teams around the world, in, including Australia. We're moving into Australia, so looking for great people in Australia. So first plug there for people to get in touch if they <laughs> if they want to help us in the Australian market. <laughs> Um, Love but it. I'm also the chief exec for the Insight 250, which is the sort of award scheme for the, if you like, the leaders and innovators within the insight and data space, um, which, which is an exciting role. And I, I love helping champion other people and the, the leaders and innovators in our space. And um, and nominations for that are now open for the 2022 awards. So I'm sure we can touch on that later. But, but another thing I'm very proud to do, I'm a, a senior advisor with MTAB, a, a tech company based out in the US as well operations around the world um, and I also sit as um, a board director for the market research society in the UK and as a representative for the global research organization SMR so I I, I, I keep myself busy <laughs> yeah I, I I love hearing the different things you do and I can see how they're all interconnected and uh, I really understand that, uh, like, I, I, I'm looking forward to chatting about these different things you're involved in because I know I can hear how, they're, how they overlap, but I, I, I'm sure there will be some interesting insights into why uh, you're so passionate about each of them. Let's start by looking back a little bit, though. I'd love for our listeners to get a bit of, uh, a bit of your story and find out a little bit about um, how Crispin became the leader that you are today. So feel free to go back as far as you want and, uh, and particularly interested in any specific moments that come to mind that really shaped you becoming who you are, Crispin. Go for it. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess, um, you know, the traditional way of saying, well, I went to university and just um, studied biology and then trained and qualified as a chartered accountant and moved into consultancy are all kind of important milestones on that pathway. Um, but I guess I started and I, I guess realized the importance of leadership a lot, lot earlier, probably when I was about 10 or 11. So as a young child and the village, I lived in a sort of rural village in, in the United Kingdom and around the village, 
we had lots of litter and rubbish and things thrown around and this always kind of you know I'd always loved the environment and wildlife and I thought this was just kind of crazy and and I started almost leading my accident and I got just I guess a group of friends and people I went to school together and we started you know picking up this litter and clearing up and making the place we lived in a better place um and then that expanded by the local school there was a bit of wasteland where everything had been dumped when the school was built and it was just overgrown with nettles and brambles and vast quantities of rubbish and broken glass and building materials and we ended up sort of getting together and i i guess i sort of motivated these people and inspired them to say well let's tidy this up and turn it into a mini nature reserve and and we did that and created ponds and planted trees and and we ended up winning various awards for this sort of environmental work and then it expanded and the group grew and we did more and more stuff and had fun and i i realized and recognized almost by accident even at that early age and as i was a teenager as, as we continued to develop the group that i enjoyed leading and inspiring people to do something and having a vision and then actually i guess in modern day language and now as a business person i've described you know executing to to actually get it done because there's no point yeah. in having a great strategy or a vision if you don't actually do something and so my leadership journey i'd say started right back then and has, has evolved ever since as i've moved through different roles both as a client and as an agency and i've always liked actually making you know making things happen driving change and I guess if that if that helps give you a flavor, but perhaps going back further than you were expecting. <laughs> no, I, I love hearing the formational moments because I feel like all of us have those things where you're not necessarily going to bring it up as a uh, in your leadership 101, uh, you know, if you were giving a talk on, on how to be a leader. But if you look back, you go, oh, I think it was actually in that season. And, and I find that really interesting how you you had that, it seems sounds like you had that natural ability coming from your passion around um, the environment to to inspire others and get them, uh, I guess, to see the same vision that you saw. Yeah, absolutely, and I think and I think those early things actually flow through. So that passion for the environment and sustainability continues, and I always try and bring that into my leadership style and the business environments I'm in as well. So. So I think it's interesting how things early on in your life can shape the leader you become later on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess in the in the more recent years, are there any moments that really stand out for you where you think that was really pivotal in in you becoming the leader you are today? It, it might be a a real a real success where you felt like you really cracked the code of. Um, you know, d emotional intelligence and dealing with managing people, which is so so hard. Or it might be um, it might be watching someone uh, from afar really drop the ball and going, I, don't, I you know, that's something I'm never going to do. I don't know any any specific moments come to mind. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think if I'm honest, earlier on in my career, I'd worked for big corporates. Um, so big, safe environments that had real momentum that were moving forwards, and there was there was less risk taking. So you know, I'd, I'd qualified as an accountant with Coopers and Lybrand or Pricewaterhouse Coopers as it now is, and worked in consultancy with them. I'd I'd then been a, a massive, great um, European electrical retailer, Dixon Stores Group, 
Um, well, I'd, I'd seen us evolve. When I joined, we were in the UK and Ireland. And when I left, I think we were in 17 countries. So I'd, I'd been used to growing and driving stuff forward, but but easy to do that when you're a big entity. And then I'd been at the UK's leading telco and BT, and then our big postal operator, Royal Mail Group, where I'd headed up big teams. Um, but when I joined Chime, I, I joined a smaller company that was losing money um, and a division that was losing money. And this was, I guess, a transformational moment for me because I realized actually to turn that from a series of loss-making company into a profitable division that was really driving forward and was really helping clients um, be successful, I needed to be bold. I needed to be brave. We needed to almost rip everything apart and put it back together. And I think that that calculated and evidence-based risk-taking, if you like, um, has been the basis of what I've done ever since. And that I believe you have to be bold, you have to be brave, you have to make um, um, decisive decisions, have a clear vision and strategy, but then execute and actually deliver to get it done. Because as I think I said earlier, you know, if, having a great vision, having a great strategy, inspiring people to follow you is all irrelevant if you don't actually deliver, if you don't actually execute on the plans you make. So I think that for me was a, a deciding factor. And we had huge success there. We did turn it into a, a very profitable um, division, making good margins and millions of pounds of EBITDA every year. And that, I guess, inspired me to always think about not just what can we do to move a business forward in increments, but how can we really transform a business? How can we drive it forward at real pace with real scale? Um, and always focus on the, the end goal of delivering success to customers. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. As you reflect on that transformation, what do you think were the key things that you did or didn't do or the approach that really uh, enabled that, uh, that massive transformation to really turn it around to take place? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as, as I said, my background and my core is in, in two areas, if you like, a biologist. So that's all about data um, and information. And then as a accountant, which, again, is about, you know, wanting the numbers to work and wanting to see the profit. And those have both shaped how how I transformed that business. And I think it was very much about saying, well, first of all, we like certainty want to know where the revenues are coming from so having a series of businesses which are all ad hoc work and everything is bespoke i think it's far better to transform a business so you have recurring revenues subscriptions if you can um, and where everything is more and more productized so that you're not reinventing the wheel on every single project 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 and i think that can that really helps you drive businesses forward um, and then very much as well about focusing on the customer, customer, always focusing on the customer so that you're delivering things that they actually want. And so I think those kind of things helped helped on that journey. And then we moved into new markets. I was very proud when when I was with Chime that we opened operations. We opened a company, Watermelon, 
um, out in Australia as well. And I had great fun visiting Australia and, and various places on the way. I'd always visit other offices in Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, um, whenever traveling out to, out to Australia to visit that team. Um, and the other, the, the fundamental thing I should say, I got distracted by technology because a phone rang in the background. So you can see this is all, all live and real, um, <laughs> but is technology. And um, I, I've always felt it is absolutely fundamental to embrace the latest technologies and team learning um, approaches in behavioral science um, and increasingly AI, artificial intelligence. And, and as a sector, the space that I work in, the research and insight space and data space has, I think, as a massive generalization, been slow to do so. So in the organizations I'm in now, and, and with Chime, I made that absolutely a prerequisite that we, we understood and used technology to help our clients on the grounds that by, by doing so, you could give them better results faster and cheaper. And in our industry, and I, I suspect probably other industries as well, there's always been a bit of a saying that, you know, clients want everything better, faster, cheaper, but that you have to choose two of those three things. You can't have all three. Well, I would argue that for the last few years, with the advent of things like artificial intelligence, that you can, as an agency, deliver to clients all three of those things. You can deliver them better solutions, which are um, faster, um, so they've got the results faster, and at a lower cost, at cheaper. So you can have better, faster, cheaper, and and that for me is why embracing um, technology, um, productizing offers, so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time, and you have some a real understanding and depth of what you're doing, um, is is so important. And you using artificial intelligence and those technology tools so that you can speed up a lot of the processes so the consultancy and the human element which is still so important i'm not one of these people that thinks ai is going to do everyone out of jobs i think it just changes jobs and allows people to be more efficient and particularly in my space in the insights and um, behavioral science space the AI tools and the massive great behavioral databases and shopper databases that we have. Um, the AI allows us to analyze and pull things out of those faster, but then you still need that 50 years of experience that the company has and the people, um, the consultants and experts we have within the company can use to actually make sure you're asking the right questions to solve um, clients' problems. And then make sure you're evaluating the outputs that come out from that AI and the machine learning to make sure that you're interpreting it and applying it to the client's business correctly. But far better that our experts are spending time doing that, if you like, um, far more important um, in, in, in important thinking than, than churning through processes and calculations as used to happen in the past. Sorry, I went off slightly on a, on, on a tangent there, but I think that's so important to embrace technology, embrace AI and use it to, to help clients. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's really profound. Uh, so you were saying better, faster, and what was the other one? Cheaper, better, better faster, it was cheaper. cheaper. So that's, yeah. I really like that, that it, previously it might have been two out of the three was realistic, even though customers wanted all three, but now... You can offer all three. What are you most excited about 
in in your space, but also more widely around AI um, and and technology, even to be really broad in in terms of how leaders can can achieve. Because I I want to link it to what you just said about focusing on the customer. I love that. How, you know, what are you most excited about being in technology, being able to actually achieve those three things for customers? Well, let, let me give you a real example, which is quite timely. Um, Behaviourally, who are, I think, renowned for being the experts in all things shopper on the physical shelf and increasing on the digital shelf, yesterday literally launched a whole new division, um, Effluence, which actually focuses very much on delivering those solutions clients at the you know at the digital shelf and it's a whole new way of saying well this is so important we're having this as a whole separate division to make sure that digital first approach that flows through the entire agency the entire organization is not just part of our dna but we actually have a dedicated team that is solely focused on those latest ai digital techniques like the intersection between behavioral science and ai so that, you know, that to me is really exciting and it shows how we're just evolving and putting that digital first approach at the heart of what we do, because it's what clients need in the, in the future. You know, retail is something right from my Dixon days. I've, I've been in for a, for a long time. It's absolutely transforming. And that whole e-commerce space is becoming more and more important. And that, that's only been accelerated by this awful pandemic that we've been in globally. And so having the tools and techniques and the people focused on these new spaces, these new verticals are, are so important. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, I'd encourage people to go and look at the look at the materials we launched yesterday, because I think it's absolutely transformational stuff. Yeah, I, I think so. Imagine we have a listener who is a leader in um, in any sector and they're listening to you talk and they're sort of head in their hands knowing they haven't done the transformation digitally they need to maybe they're new into the role or maybe they they had some bigger fires to put out though it's pretty big it's pretty crucial but they're they're thinking oh i have no idea um where to start but i know we have to do this what would your advice be uh for leaders around i guess the non-negotiables as we move into 2022 2023 and and beyond around what it look you know digital first uh, across organizations okay well one thing i think it's really important to say is i think there's a danger sometimes that everyone races and rushes towards um adopting things for the sake of it and i think it's very important that all leaders constantly step back and listen to what their customers are saying and understand what is it you're actually trying to solve for. So you actually have to be providing a solution that solves the customer's problem. It's no good just saying, oh, this is great, this is better, this is digital, we're using AI. If the client turns around or the enterprise turns around and says, yeah, but we don't want to know that, we don't need to do that. What we want to understand is X, Y, and Z. So I'd say always be driven by what your customers are looking for and in giving your customers success, providing solutions for your customers. The other thing I would say is twofold. Look at what your competitors are up to, because you can always see what they're doing. A, because there may be some great ideas and you can follow fast. You don't always have to be the leader. If you can follow fast, you often do it with a significantly lower investment cost 
far faster than the leader did because they were having to take all the risks and you know pioneer the space but you can actually copy quickly and the, the third thing if you like the second part of of that i'd say is blatantly steal from other industries and other geographies um you don't have <coughs> excuse me you don't have to just try and copy things in your home market look what's going on in other markets look what's coming out of china or another continent and say how can we adapt and adopt that or take something from a totally different industry and apply it um, to the industry you're in and i'll give you an example of that when i was at dixon stores group i worked with um, a brilliant marketer from fmcg i don't i don't mind saying who it was joe garner um, who then um, came to Dixon's and helped drive various initiatives and things forward there, particularly in the mobile phone space. And then he went to one of our big banks, HSBC, and he almost took a lot of the retail and FMCG approach we'd said. And I think he sort of launched at HSBC a sale. It's like you don't have sales in financial service products, in banking, but he'd blatantly stolen some techniques and tips and some great marketing that we'd used within the retail space and took it to the financial services space. And he did really well. I think until recently he's been chief exec over at Nationwide Building Society and, wow. and um, I've, I've not caught up with him a while, but I, I remember, and this, this is going back probably 20 years or so, I remember watching with interest and thinking, wow, he's taken some really successful approaches from FMCG and retail and applied them to a new industry and had success there. And, and that always encouraged me to make sure in my reading, in my learning, I'm looking outside of the sector I'm currently working in as well, because that's how you start to get competitive advantage by having and bringing real paradigm shifts, real totally new ways of looking at things to, the, um, to help deliver for the clients you're working with at that time. Yeah, I, I really like what you're talking about there. It reminds me of one of my favorite books, Blue Ocean Strategy, and how they talk about uh, in strategic planning, so often we focus on customers. We go to our customers and say, what do you want? And it's funny, they say in the book, when you ask customers what they want, they'll say more for less. You know, <laughs> I, want, uh, I want more service yeah. for a cheaper price. Um, and they make the point that the, the biggest breakthroughs to innovate and to really maintain or create competitive advantage comes from looking outside your existing industry. And I, I love the example they use in the book of Cirque du Soleil, uh, which I'd never thought about before I read the book, but uh, you know, how they came into it, an industry, uh, you know, the circus with live animals and, um, and all these sort of things. And they, and they looked at theater and they took things that from theater and actually accessed the other part of what they talk about in the book is looking at your non-customers. And that to me has been really helpful because um, I just wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have thought to focus on your non-customers, but that's where if you can find the pain points of your non-customers, why aren't they using your industry and look at your alternative industries and how they're innovating, then some of those answers you can come up with can, can, be proven some like you said the pioneers have taken all the arrows in their in their back from being the ones out front in that industry and you can take that idea in your industry and people will look at it and say that is completely revolutionary uh, but you've been able to actually look outside and see it working somewhere else yeah and that's where it becomes really fun Jono, as well where you're you're pioneering and you're doing different things and you're innovating and you're creating and 
and that I often find that fun and success go hand in hand as well. So it's it's a win win. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I want to ask you. It, it might sound like a silly question, but it definitely popped into my mind when you were talking about those couple of different approaches. What do, what are your thoughts and what advice would you give on on actually getting good feedback from your customers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to know who you're talking to. Um, you don't want to be in an echo chamber where you talk to all people who are identical, who share the same views as you. Um, so your point about looking at um, people who aren't customers, or in my mind, particularly those people who've had issues, who've raised a complaint in your organization, yeah. or have left your organization, so lapsed customers that have gone, are absolutely fundamental in terms of understanding what's going on and where the issues are. And the big mistake people often make is they go out to the sales team or to the customer service team and say, right, tell us who we should be talking to. And of course, then you get a sort of somewhat biased sample, even unintentionally, where people give you a list of people, you go and talk to them and you discover that everything's okay and there's no problems and they all want very similar things. So it's really important to check that you're getting a representative sample of your customers or your potential customers and those people that have gone to understand what they want and what they, they want to do. And also make sure, it may sound obvious, but I guess as a researcher, it's close to my heart, but perhaps people outside the industry won't think of this. The number of times I see scales and questions that are completely leading and, you know, you think we're doing a great idea, don't you? <laughs> I, I exaggerate to make the point. You have to make sure that you've got lots of open-ended questions where people have a chance to really talk about the issues or what's on their agenda. Because if you ask them just to rank your organization on a dozen different metrics, give a score out of 10 for how innovative we are or what we, how great this product is or what this service delivers, those might not be the things they want to talk about. That, that might not be the issue. Might not, that might not be the problem. And so it's far better to give them the chance to say, well, what do you think we should be doing or how could that work or where do you think we're behind the competitors or, or you know, is there anything else you'd like to tell us that you think we should be on? And these kind of open ended questions elicit far more insightful information that allows you to act and respond to their needs rather than just getting a score out of 10 for a dozen different metrics. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I, I think it does sound obvious, but all of us, I can think of times myself where I've gone and, and asked questions and um, you're just trying, if you're just trying to get the job done and you're not thinking about it really strategically, if you're not living in that space uh, like you are, it's good to be reminded about um, not, not using leading questions and, uh, and, and keeping, uh, using open questions. Um, so... Uh, time now for Leadership Express. I've got a bunch of questions just to fire off and, and hopefully I always love the, the little uh, nuggets and insights that come out in this that um, that I, I find really fascinating and I, I believe listeners enjoy this too. So let's, uh, let's jump into it. Um, Crispin, what's a book that you've gifted a lot to other people? Well, that's a good question. I... I, I... I think without doubt that my favorite business book that I've given to people at all levels would be Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And within that, that talks, and there's some great examples there about something we've mentioned about paradigm shifts. Um, 
And I love it because it's a really easy read, but it's really insightful and it's a good basic handbook, I think, particularly for um, people new into leadership roles. And I've I've bought that book and given it to people in my teams as I've promoted them on on many occasions over the years. So so Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People would, would be my my top pick. Love it. Any great podcasts uh, that you're listening to or uh, any other sources right now that you're reading, watching or listening to? Well, behaviorally have one. Um, so we better behave. And I, I listen to that uh, a lot. And I think there's some great insights there. And I'm very lucky in terms of a series. It's not a podcast, but I'm currently as part of my role as, as Chief Executive Insight 250 interviewing um, every week, leaders and innovators, um, so winners of the 2021 awards. Yeah. And that's been published on SMR's um, Research World site. And so I've spoken to, I don't know, a couple of dozen, they're probably more than that people now, um, and had their views on different, different um, subjects related to innovation and leadership. And so that's something that I found usually, usually fulfilling. Although, although harder work having to, as, as you will know, John, harder work having to do the interview and prepare for the interview than it is just having to listen to it. So, um, so I, I, I appreciate the work that you're putting in, into yours. But, but that's something that I, I found a huge privilege to talk to all these leaders and innovators around the world and get their, their insights on a variety of subjects. Yeah, that's, a, uh, that's amazing. What a great, um, I, I find I learn, I'm probably learning the most right now myself from doing these uh, podcast uh, leadership conversations just because I, uh, I I hope listeners are enjoying it but even <laughs> it, for, you know forget about listeners for a moment sorry but uh, I I feel like from my seat I'm learning so much I, I really enjoy it uh, what's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or something you've been reminded of recently um, that's a great question I think I think it probably is about execution. I was reading the book actually called Execution, The Discipline of Getting Things Done by Larry Bossidy over, over the Christmas break. And it did bring home to me something that I think I've actually always been good at and enjoyed doing, you know, actually actioning things. I've always talked about action in my roles, but actually rather than action, it probably is execution. I thought it was a better way of describing it. And that um, importance of actually delivering. And as you know, I've touched on it earlier, John, but I think, you know, there are many people who have amazing visions and a fantastic strategy, but it fails because they don't actually get everyone bought in and everyone aligned to deliver and execute on that vision and strategy. So for me, and I guess my focus in 2022 is very much on everything I do. How am I going to make sure we actually execute it and it actually happens? Excellent. I think there'll be lots of listeners making a note uh, of that book. Uh, what is a time management or productivity tip you'd give or a tool or resource you use? Um, the biggest thing for me, and I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at it, I'm, and it's something else I'm trying to focus on this year, is touching things once. I mm. think the number of times we get an email in and we read it and we think about it, we think, oh, I'll come back to that later. It's just so inefficient. And I've really tried to champion this year by going and saying right i'm looking at something and i'm dealing with it once and i'm going to respond to it or decide it doesn't need to be responded but i'm not then 
putting it in a file and a list of, oh, I'm going to come back to that and do it again, because you waste so much time reading it again, thinking about it again, and you probably don't make any decision or had any more value than you would have done from dealing with it on that first occasion. So just, you know, single, single touch, of, of particularly in this world of communication where we have a massive stream of information constantly arriving, you know, it's deal with it once rather than multiple times. Yeah, that's gold. I'm, I'm going to take yeah. that board, deal with it, deal with it once, try to touch things only once. Uh, what's a tip around work-life balance that you'd give to other leaders? Um, I think it's enjoy what you're doing and then it doesn't feel like work and life. It's, it's important and everyone talks about having healthy work-life balances and it's interesting over what time period you look at that balance. There are periods when we're more focused on work, there are periods when we're more focused on life as such. And it is important to have a balance. But I'm a great believer if you throw yourself into a job, if you're really enjoying it, if you're working with people that you enjoy being with, then it doesn't feel like work. So if you're miserable in your role and constantly watching the clock and thinking, right, I need to get the balance and I need to be going home to spend more time with the kids or do this, you're quite possibly in the wrong role. So think about that and be honest with yourself and try and enjoy what you're doing. Because however great your you know, work-life balance, he's saying, doing the inverted commas with his hand, hands are, you know, you, you are in work for a lot of hours. Yeah. So try and enjoy it. Have something that's fun. Yeah, that's great. I, one of my favorite assessments uh, that's come out in the past couple of years is Working Genius by the Table Group, Patrick Lentroni. And uh, they, use the, they use the analogy in terms of the type of work we do of a coffee cup which I found particularly helpful and I'd encourage people to check out Working Genius. But it's uh, they talk about the things, if you're in a role that's really in your sweet spot, and, and I think what you're talking about goes to another level as well, find something you're passionate about that you love doing. But they just talk around the type of work you're doing um, in terms of whether you're more landing the plane in your role or if you're in a role where there's some opportunity for invention and, and there's different aspects to it. If you're if you're doing something that you really love, it's like a, a coffee cup that you fill up and then put a lid on, and, and it's like it stays hot, and uh, and then you have the second category is things that are, um, are working competencies, where you, it's like you take the lid off, so it starts off hot, but if you spend all your time there, eventually you lose that heat, and then the third one, which I really find this this <laughs> really rings true for me, is if you're in if you're spending a lot of your time doing something that's what they call a working frustration then forget the temperature of the coffee it's like poking a hole in the bottom of the cup and the coffee just drains out and uh, and i like that idea yeah. of less work-life balance potentially being less about the quantity and more about the quality and, and saying what what is your worker you know coffee cup with a hole in it sort of uh where, where you're feeling really where it's draining like you said looking at the clock or are you doing something where you feel like the lid's on and it's hot and if you can find the latter then i i feel like a lot of the questions that we need to ask and a lot of the things that we're really triggered about and really get on the edge about working out perhaps they become at least easier yeah john i couldn't agree with you more there and i i, I think as leaders it's important you know, in this area that we really trust people and we, you know, we focus on the outputs rather than the time works. And I think the old fashioned sort of clock watching um, or where people are working, which has hopefully gone away a lot with the pandemic, 
you know, help. And if you're trusting your own people and empowering them to get on with their job and you've recruited, um, trained and are retaining the right people, then you as a leader get more time to focus on what you want to be doing rather than micromanaging or interfering in, in their jobs. And then, and then also it's about recognizing for me as well that I have some of my best business ideas when I'm out walking the dog, for example, I try every night before I go to bed to take the dog out. I'm lucky we, you know, we live on a farm um, and so we've got lots of animals and things around. I get out there with the dog and, and when you're totally sort of almost switched off, that's when the ideas pop into your head. And, you know, you would say, right, I'm having a really life experience here. I'm walking my dog or I'm out with the kids. But you this idea drops into your head and as long as you capture that and I you know I know people as well that have notebooks by the bed so if they wake up at the night thinking with the eureka moment they quickly scribble it down so they don't forget it well I must admit I don't do I don't do that but the, the truth is the same I will often wake up and suddenly think oh that problem that I'd been struggling on yesterday and sitting there and using all kinds of Boston Consulting Group four box matrices and trying to solve whatever it's suddenly an answer or a different perspective has suddenly come to me and and so grab that and you can't sometimes force these things so it comes back to the if you're enjoying what you're doing um, often ideas will pop out when you're not formally working and it's important to capture those and grab those and then take them back into the working environment yeah, I I love that walk on the dog. Uh, for me, it's it's cycling, and I've I've severely underestimated what happens mentally when I when I go cycling. I'd feel like I always come back with, like you said, I could have poured over this this problem, and then you come back and it's very simple. Um, my favorite story around this is uh, is around a um uh, a physicist, a quantum physicist who part of uh, part of his routine he reached this point where and i can't remember where i heard it from otherwise I'd, I'd i'd give the source but he reached this point where he 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 got very stuck on sort of a life's one of his key pieces of work that that he was he was working on and he was stuck for some time and uh, and so part of his work became to actually break through that next point that he that he couldn't seem to work out he would just go and swim in the ocean for hours at a time and he viewed that as work because it sort of, for, as a quantum physicist, it reached a point where, where he, he said, I, I literally don't see any outcome, so I have to go and do something to allow something else to pop up. And I just thought that was great because the last thing most of us in you know uh, in corporate culture would ever think of as work would be going out and having a swim in the ocean, but it was literally part of his work plan to actually crack this um this this code which i believe he did yeah i think that's so important and it um changing the environment but linked to that is something that i guess we touched on a little bit earlier where i think i described it as an echo chamber where you you just keep having the same thing bounce back at you and hearing your hearing your own voice and your own thoughts yeah and that's why it's so important as well to surround yourself with a sort of diverse and inclusive workforce and leadership team so that you get different perspectives different views because that can help you make better decisions and if you if you just are surrounded by if you like clones um you may move quickly but you may miss a major a major opportunity and end up sort of going quickly straight into a brick wall <laughs> yeah that's brilliant uh what's a great piece of advice you've received at some point in in life from someone 
Um, I, I think probably be bold, you know, I th and and don't over plan things. I, I was lucky to have a couple of um, great mentors earlier on in my career and Jeremy Darrick, who went on to be chief executive of Sky and um, and Elizabeth Fagan, who took senior roles at Boots and elsewhere. And both of them sort of said, look, we've not really had a detailed career plan because going back 20, 25 years or whenever it was, the Vogue was very much to set out, right, where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in 10 years? What are you going to do? How are you going to move to the next role? Um, and they, their advice to me when they were at Dixon Stores Group, both of them, so earlier on in my career and slightly earlier on in, in their careers, although they were both in senior roles, um, was to about throw yourself into every job you do, really enjoy it and give it yourself your best and then the opportunities will arise and then evaluate those opportunities and decide if they're right for you. And I took that to heart. And I, particularly as I followed their careers and saw how successful they had been and, and went on to be, and I thought, yeah, actually, sometimes we can over-engineer these things and we can be trying to follow a life plan, if you like, or a work-life plan um, and feel that we're failing. Whereas if you actually make sure you're in the moment, and you're delivering to the best of your ability and inspiring the people around you and executing the plans you've got, then you will find that people notice and the opportunities come to you. And, and throughout my career, I think pretty much every role I've gone into, I've not been looking to move or applied to. I've had people approach me and say, hey, would you like to come and do this? And all, not all of those opportunities have I agreed to go along with, but, but most of them recently, and I think looking through my LinkedIn profile of things, I think pretty much all of the last half a dozen roles or so I've been approached and asked to go and do. And I've thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll give that a go. Yeah, why not? I wasn't planning to do that. Or you know, when I went to BT and I'd only been there for a year and I got asked to go and lead a new team to set various things up at the post office and they were going to launch financial services and telephony and all kinds of things. I thought, wow, I'm always going to regret it if I don't give this a go. And I, I went there and spent four or five years there and was really happy, really enjoyed it. And I, I, I think that's important. And and the other thing is, I think it's very easy um, to worry about decisions. And I'm a great believer in it's better to regret doing something than not doing something. So if you're not sure, sometimes may, make the jump, take the chance. And, and if it's not right, you can change your mind. Um, but worse still is to sit there and think, if only I'd gone and done this role or it could have or what could have been. It's better to go for something, find it's not right. And if it's not right for you, be honest about that and move to something else than to sit wondering and wishing you had done something. Yeah, that's that's wonderful advice. Uh, a movie or TV show that's really impacted you? Oh gosh, that's a good one. I like um, I like billions. I like just complete escapism. I watch all, all kinds of bits and pieces. And I, I I don't know. I I would say I mean, at least a couple of times. Not every night, but maybe two or three times a week. I do just try and watch a series or something to to completely escape and um, and a lot of crime things and. And different things or you know money heist i think is one i've watched recently oh, yeah. which is just complete relax <laughs> sort of relaxation and turning off and unwinding um 
but I'm not I'm not sure if there's particular leadership lessons from any that we should be advocating from any of those programs but <laughs> certainly maybe sometimes you could see things not to do from some of these programs as much as things we should be doing yes yeah I think that's right okay and last question uh one of your favorite quotes do you have sort of a, a favorite quote that comes to mind um oh i'm sure there's hundreds but um it would probably be having mentioned um stephen Covey's the seven um highly uh, seven habits of highly effective people there's a great quote in there about paradigm shifts and with i would not do justice to the story but basically there's um a big US warship, I think, moving forward, and there's another ship in the way, and it's trying to encourage them to move out of the way and sending various messages where becoming increasingly sort of threatening, suggesting that you know they need to move out of the way. And the story unfolds. And I, as I say, I'm not doing this complete justice. Um, it turns out the quote that comes through from this other warship that's in the way that needs to move that they're, they're threatening to sink is I'm a lighthouse. And at that moment, when it realizes this thing in front of it isn't actually another vessel, but it's a lighthouse, the paradigm shift and the whole way that situation is viewed changes. And I think now, you know, I'm a lighthouse is just a great quote because it it, it it makes you think you know you really need to understand things from the other person's perspective and have the whole broader picture um to make your decision um so perhaps not a more a traditional quote or leadership quote but as i say i'm a great advocate of that book and would encourage people to read it yeah it's a fantastic book and that's a wonderful story to to finish on for people who are listening and have found this really helpful or maybe have heard about some of the things you're involved in and, and would like to uh, know more, where can people find you online, Crispin? Um, probably the easiest place is um, LinkedIn, and I'm just linkedin.com, and it's Crispin Bill. Um, so you can, you can find me there. Wonderful. Well, it's uh, I, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and and particularly Leadership Express. We really um, ended up taking a re I, I really loved that. There was there were so many nuggets in there, and I couldn't help but jump in and share a few things too. And um, this has been a lot of fun. So I, I just want to say a massive thank you uh, to you for being so generous to give up your time and uh, and just say how how much I've enjoyed chatting with you, Crispin. Thanks for coming on. No, it's my absolute um, pleasure, John. I think it's a great initiative. Happy to help. And this will now no doubt be added to my list of podcasts to listen to. And I've, I've already listened to a couple of them, but there's some great stuff. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. 
We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership. And leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content. And it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process 
that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.